All right, we are live. I'm an Arrow Talk with Kyle Torpy, uh, a Bitcoin or cryptocurrency journalist, uh, who I guess you, you're current uh, most frequently on Forbes and Bitcoin Magazine. Is that correct, Kyle? Uh, yeah, mostly there and uh, Long Hash too, which is like a newer site. Good to have you, man. Uh, certainly familiar with your work and your name. You've been around in the space, I guess, for, for quite some time now. Uh, particularly uh, enjoy your Forbes articles. Um, how long have you been around? Since when have, How long have you been uh, a journalist in the space? I think like January 2014. Um, before that, I was I was writing stuff just like for fun for like uh, probably six months or so. And then uh, one of the pieces I was writing for fun got some popularity on Reddit. And then the Kaiser Report talked about it on their show. And then I started getting job offers based off that. And uh, yeah, I've been writing about Bitcoin full time ever since. Awesome. And uh, you obviously have a very good understanding of the space and the technology. Uh, at least that's my opinion. Um, would you say that your kind of uh, understanding, obviously to some degree, an opinion ha has evolved throughout the years or is kind of the, you know, your Eureka moment that you've had? Because I'm sure, you know, we all had that Eureka moment kind of with, with blockchain. Has that, has that evolved or is it kind of still what it was the day, the day it, it first hit you? Yeah, the Eureka moments don't really happen as often as they used to. But I mean, I think there's always still plenty to learn uh, and when it comes to topics related to Bitcoin because there's so many different, you know, areas involved in it, whether it's, you know, economics or computer science or, you know, you go down the line. Um, I do think, you know, because when I first became interested in Bitcoin, I, th I would say it was, uh, I saw this article in Gawker in like the middle of 2011 about Silk Road. And I didn't really know anything about, you know, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, or even like, uh, you know, onion sites in the Tor browser and that kind of thing before that. So I, I thought, I didn't think it would be possible for people to be, you know, buying drugs online and getting away with it for, you know, an extended period of time. So, uh, that's what first kind of piqued my interest. Um, but I was also a like Ron Paul guy before Bitcoin. So, you know, I was somewhat of a gold bug, um, interested in monetary policy, things like that. So um, that that wasn't as strong as a, a pull into for me into the space at first. But I've come to, you know, I think these days I think more about Bitcoin in terms of a monetary phenomenon rather than like the... Uh, censorship resistant transactions um when i've one of my first eureka moments i i thought the um you know the the underlying core value here was um i would say you know those kind of silk road s transactions that weren't possible before but that's really only possible if you have you know a trustworthy uh uncontrollable monetary policy that's trustless also built underneath um so I think that 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 21 million cap of Bitcoin is kind of like the main thing that makes everything else possible, kind of. Um, you can build like payments 
and everything else on top of that. But you have to have, you know, that trustworthy store of value, um, I would say first. And I, we're still definitely still like, uh, you know, in the development stage of the store of value case of Bitcoin, I would say. Hmm. That, oh, so that that's interesting. Uh, so you uh, initially kind of saw uh, the invention of Bitcoin being more about digital peer-to-peer payments that uh, that had this uh, censorship-resistant aspect to it. And now you see more of the invention being, I guess, digital gold, right? So when... Yeah. Um, well, and I think the biggest learning, uh, the biggest education in that regard, I think, came for a lot of people with the whole block size debate in Bitcoin. Um, you know, they made Bitcoin Cash and you know, as kind of like an experiment. And that's kind of, I mean, I, don't, I haven't looked at the market cap in a while, but it's really fallen off since, you know, it was first launched. I think it's down something like 90% against Bitcoin alone. So um, I think we've seen this, you know, kind of play out in the market where, you know, that that digital gold use case has definitely, especially this year, um, and I would say last year too, the altcoin market, it really, um, kind of took a huge hit. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, I think the digital gold um, use case is kind of at the forefront right now. And I think that's what the market values uh, the most from what I can tell. So is what kind of changed your opinion? Was it the market itself seeing what, what's kind of being adopted or do you see, was it more of a realization of what the actual invention was? I mean, cause the, the invention itself hasn't changed months much since the Satoshi white paper. It's fundamentally the same thing as what was invented. Um, but what, yeah, I think why, my, it's why, more why? like, it's more like my view of, you know, what was important change. Cause obviously, like you said, Bitcoin, uh, doesn't really change much at the protocol level. Um, and, and yeah, we had like, you know, was it like $40, $50 fees on Bitcoin um, in late 2017? And people were still willing to pay those fees because, you know, right now people are still just trying to kind of gain access to this new asset class as a, as a store of value kind of. So the way I look at it is if you have like, if you have like $10,000, and you want to invest that in Bitcoin for like a 10 year period or something like that, then, I mean, that's why people were willing to pay those incredibly ridiculous fees because as of now, we're still, you know, there's not really much payments adoption at all. Um, so people are willing to pay those ridiculous fees because, you know, it's just a one-time payment to gain access to the that store value use case. Hmm. Now, I guess, I guess, but why is that store of value a bigger breakthrough than something that already existed like gold itself then at that point? Like why, uh, that would, why is it uh why is it something we, we, you know, what was the invention then? I mean, cause we, we already had, uh, you know, like, like real gold, right. Where you could essentially store your value and same concept. It's just, uh, the value comes from scarcity and the fact that there's a network effect there. Um, what what was then the breakthrough with Bitcoin? Um, in terms of store value, it'd be uh, it's much e- much more difficult for it to be seized 
Um, I remember Nick Zabo talking about this a long time ago, uh, where he, he gave a presentation on why, I don't know if this is the entire point of the whole presentation, but one of the points he made was, you know, for even central banks of actual governments, they they should probably prefer something like Bitcoin over gold just because it's much harder to to seize. So if you know a lot of a lot of central banks store their gold with the United States, um, you know, maybe they could store it themselves if it was in, in the form of Bitcoin. Um, you know, when when a, a nation gets toppled by another nation or a coup happens or an uprising happens, a revolution of some sort. Um, you know, one of the first things they'll go after is try to seize the, you know, monetary assets held by the central bank. Um, so in that way, you know, an example of that would be actually happened recently with Venezuela. They were storing gold with, I, f I forget the bank, some bank in the UK, I believe. Um, so their gold reserves were just seized at some point in the past year. Um, you know, if, if they were holding Bitcoin, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have been possible mm -hmm. um, but i i mean i don't i don't mean to like completely undermine the the uh, censorship resistant uh payment aspect um i just think that's it's difficult for that to be possible without um the underlying store value use case um and you need that store value use case to develop um so people can eventually use it as a re reliable unit of account um, over time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you on all those points. And I certainly think store of value, as you're describing it, is kind of kind of the first step. Like you got to get that right. And that's what creates the network effect and gets everybody onto it. Uh, but then, so even if you're looking at it purely from that standpoint, or you see that as kind of being the, the most essential component, um, don't you think then things like censorship resistance and fungibility, which would uh, come from privacy, don't those things help improve that aspect? So even like the examples you're given, I mean, uh, I guess what, what would be better than digital gold would be digital gold that can't be tracked or traced. Uh, so it becomes even more difficult for people to censor and potentially confiscate it. Um, so what's, I guess, what's your opinion there in terms of yeah, would, making it definitely, confiscatable and, and censorship resistant through privacy? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I'm definitely, you know, I'm, I'm not really a fan of altcoins in terms of like the, the proposal of them as like an investment. I see them more as like test nets. Um, and when it comes to the altcoins, I, I don't think there's probably a better one than, Monero in terms of, you know, where they're innovating in terms of privacy. So I, I definitely think that's um, a key aspect, but it's, I would say it's not really, you know, something that many people are desiring right now because we are still, you know, it's, it's hard to use Bitcoin for payments for a variety of reasons. Um, so people aren't really, I mean, people, I mean, we look at the development of the Lightning Network. Everyone was really excited about that, and then people can use it today. But there's not really that many people using, you know, the Lightning Network for payments, um, as far as I'm aware. Um, 
but but for Bitcoin itself, even if it's just purely we're talking about digital gold store of value, do you think the protocol is good enough for that for achieving that result, or do you think something like Monero uh, has has features uh, that are necessary to achieve that? Um, is is Bitcoin good enough to uh, to achieve uh, uh, the standard of, of digital gold? It's 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 lack of fungibility. Is that not a flaw to the point where uh, it wouldn't become the you know the desired universal protocol for being digital gold? I think it probably does need um, better privacy, but a lot of that was kind of already enabled with. Um, segwit that that was people think of that as like a scalability improvement but it was also extremely important for privacy um so for example the lightning network um it was technically possible before uh segwit was implemented but it 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 made the lightning network um much more uh easier to implement in a more efficient manner um and the lightning network itself you know it takes transactions off chain which can, um, you know, as, uh, if there if the information is on the blockchain, then that's obviously a, a gain for privacy. There's there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, you know, Taproot and Schnorr are probably going to be the next big improvements to Bitcoin that will also have uh, huge gains for privacy. Um, you know, with signature signature aggregation. You know. Um, basically regular Bitcoin payments will look the same as multi-sig and then Taproot adds more transaction functionality without putting that information on the blockchain as well. So all, basically they'll be able to implement uh, more complex smart contracts without, you know, which I think t the Ethereum approach is more uh, less private over there. Um so yeah, basically all these Bitcoin transactions are going to be looking the same, but you know, one could be a transaction, a simple transaction from me to you. Um, another one could be like a lightning channel opening or close. Another one could be like a coin join. Eventually all these are going to look um, the same on the blockchain to someone who's looking at it. Um, but I, I do think um, conf confidential transactions is something that uh, Bitcoin, that would be like the final uh, big improvement for Bitcoin privacy, I think. And it's unclear. I mean, it's already on Liquid, so like people can play around with it today. Um, and I I know Wasabi Wallet is like thinking about implementing CoinJoin with confidential transactions on Liquid, but it's it's kind of... I mean, Liquid is like a federated sidechain, so regulators could just, you know, maybe shut down the liquid sidechain if people start using it to gain, you know, a lot more privacy with their Bitcoin. Um, although it'd be interesting if they did that, if they would shut down like Ripple and EOS because, you know, those are similarly centralized, but I think regulators, regulators just haven't kind of figured that out yet. Um, although we, there are some like congressmen that have been talking about, you know, the key differences between Libra and Bitcoin where Libra is like much more Facebook's Libra project. I mean, and 
how that's like much more centralized than Bitcoin and they're kind of like two different things. So they're, they're starting to get it a little bit more. So it kind of would be interesting to see what would happen if someone pushed the envelope and kind of implemented CoinJoin on top of Liquid with confidential transactions because that would uh, definitely be private enough in my eyes for Bitcoin, but obviously it's not on the base chain. So it's not as uh, trustless and censorship resistant. And so, yeah, and uh, do you do you see Bitcoin having the kind of the political will to get there internally as a, as uh, as a community to to add things like confidential transactions? Like, do you, is it is it even possible for for Bitcoin as we know it, Bitcoin Core, to evolve in that way? Would would everybody be on board with that, or is it already? is the cat kind of already out of the bag and it's, it's hard, too difficult at this point, given the fact that they would have to consider the repercussions from governments or, uh, you know, people that are already invested in it, in, in the, in its current form. Um, do you think it has the ability politically at, to, uh, evolve in that way? I definitely think the plan all along has kind of been, cypherpunk you know digital cash money for for bitcoin um so i don't think increased privacy would be necessarily a controversial change um there might be some i mean yeah segway wasn't supposed to be controversial either but obviously that took a while to get activated um i i think with something like confidential transactions it seems like it will have to come in the form of like a side chain or an extension block where it's, you know, you still have the complete verified ability on the base Bitcoin blockchain. Um, because there is an issue with confidential transactions where uh, you kind of have to choose. I'm not like a super technical expert on this, but my understanding is you have to kind of choose between like perfect verifi verifiability of the supply versus uh, perfect unbreakable privacy. And you can't really have both in the face of um, quantum computing. So there is that aspect to think about it. But I think as long as it's uh, opt-in via like a side chain or extension blocks, then I think that's that's how it can work eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've we've had shows on that as well. Uh, that's kind of the the ultimate one of the ultimate criticisms of something like Monero, like, well, uh, you know, it's great that it's uh, perfectly uh, private or uh, versus, but it, it's, it's la potentially lacking in its ability to be audited. Uh, but that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of arguments that dispute that. And like you said, it's really uh, in the scenario where quantum computing exists. And I guess the, 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 the major counter argument that's made to that, by the Monero community as well. If that's the case, then, you know, Bitcoin is also, uh, you know, could potentially be affected by this quantum computing as well, right? So uh, not only would Monero's, uh, you know, the ability to, to secretly create Monero would be a possibility, but also the ability to uh, just break a, a a Bitcoin private key and 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 steal the Monero and steal all the Bitcoin. Yeah. So it's like if if the quantum computer problem, uh, I don't know that that's a tough one for me. If the, yeah. you know, 
I think that does get back into what I was saying about having like the store value at the base layer though. Cause what, what you could do with Bitcoin is what you're basically doing with like an extension block or side chain or lightning is you're making sure that the store value use case is like secure. And that's like the ultimate thing to um, make sure doesn't break and everyone can verify everything. And then a, a layer above that is where you can put, you know, these, this kind of cypherpunk digital cash vision that, um, which was also a, a big part of why Bitcoin was created in the first place. And I mean, I've always been a fan of like the Tumblebit idea from years ago that doesn't didn't seem to get much traction since then, where you basically have, you know, these off-chain digital cash servers that you don't have to trust. They can't steal your money. They don't know who you're sending money to. Um, and obviously it's also great for, you know, the payments use case because you basically have the benefits of complete centralization um, in terms of fast, quick, instant confirmations. And you also have, you know, very good privacy um, and you don't have to trust, similar to the Lightning Network, you don't have to trust where you're depositing your money. Um, so that would be interesting. I, I just saw a paper last month where someone talked about combining confidential transactions with Tumblebit. Um because, yeah, if, I mean, even if you have Tumblebit where you're depositing money to the server, you, if you don't have confidential transactions, you can still see, you know, how much money people are sending to those those uh, Tumblebit servers. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different uh, ways that pri better privacy can come to Bitcoin, but it probably will. It won't be at, like, the very base layer. Um, just because, yeah, that as I said before, that, that 21 million, that the the trustworthiness of that monetary policy is like the, that's a very key ingredient to the, uh, the puzzle here. Right. Yeah. I know. I, I struggle. I struggle with the Bitcoin because I mean, I feel like there's a lot of contradiction in, in the arguments that are made. I mean, like, so security is, is kind of the, the top priority, right? So it's, we need to have, you know, if this is going to be digital gold, it needs to be secure and we need to kind of mimic gold on that level right uh so if that if that's the case then shouldn't it be our larger concern for um the distribution of the network itself right because that plays into security uh the more distributed the network is the more secure the network is um the 21 million it's great it's great from an economic perspective to kind of bootstrap the environment has everybody kind of running and hodling their coins uh but from a security standpoint, uh, it leaves a big question mark as to what will happen when we approach that 21 million and there's no coins left to mine. And, you know, you hear Bitcoin, very smart Bitcoin people uh, making the argument, well, we're worried about quantum computing. So that's why we don't want to, uh, you know, uh, add confidential transactions because then you may, you know, be able to uh, secretly produce Bitcoin but we're not worried about the fact we don't know what's going to happen uh, when we approach that 21 million mark and there may not be an incentive for miners to secure the network. So I, I, I kind of struggle with that because that seems like more, a, right. more of an obvious worry than quantum computers, right? So like, let's get confidential transactions in Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I think the quantum computing thing seems like less of a concern than the big question mark of, what happens when there's no longer a clear incentive 
to mine and secure the network. So if security is first, if security priority, then why isn't that a major consideration or concern for, for Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think when it comes to like the biggest issues with Bitcoin, you know, there was all those scale, scalability concerns for the longest time. But to me, like bigger issues are one, privacy and two, mining centralization. Um, I mean, and, and they're kind of intertwined because if you have better privacy, then the mining centralization be, kind of becomes less of an issue because no one really knows. You can't differentiate between transactions, so it kind of makes it harder to censor. Um, but obviously then, you know, if you have 51% of the network, you you can just censor all transactions if you want to. So, there, so there's that too. Um, and there are... You know, the community or the user base doesn't seem as concerned about mining centralization as maybe they should. I mean, the that proposal from Matt Corallo for, you know, taking control of transaction selection, uh, better hash, that's what it's called, taking control of um, transaction selection away from the pools and towards the individual miners would be incredibly um, useful. And I know Slushpool is working on, you know, a, a similar mining protocol that would be helpful in that regard. So, um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's. That's the article. You great article, by the way. Uh, let's let's get into that more. But yeah. But first, just that question of security. So, Bitcoiners, Bitcoin maximalists, they're they're concerned about security, priority security. One of the the major priority security. So yes, the decentralization of the network uh, being one concern, which you're, you're touching upon. But then also, yeah, this idea of the 21 million cap and leaving a big question mark as to how, what, will there be an incentive to mine and secure the network? Will, you know, is, is just the fact that it's, it's an unknown, is that a security issue uh, that we don't know uh, what, mining will look like in in the future in terms of uh incentive models whereas something like monero that has you know the tail emission and we know they'll forever be uh mining taking place is there are there thoughts there because that seems like i said that seems to be contradictory to the let's make pri let's make security priority number one well it's kind of i mean i can definitely see envision a world where transaction fees do end up being enough to secure the network, but it's definitely not something that's, you know, definite. Um, in terms of, you know, fixing that, I'm not sure. I know there is a recent paper from uh, Hasu, the the Twitter the guy on Twitter, I don't know his real name. I think he might be pseudonymous, where he was talking about this issue of the... Um, uh, the the block subsidy eventually going to zero, and he he threw in a, f a few proposals. Um, another one, besides you know increasing the cap, would be having this sort of like all the businesses that benefit from Bitcoin just kind of donate uh, money to the miners every year. Um, 
obviously you have some uh, incentive issues there where like maybe one one company doesn't want to you know do that um it it i think we'll just have to kind of see what happens there but if you want to talk about like if that does require a hard fork which i can't remember exactly if it does um that would be a situation where a hard fork would be possible because it it's one of the situations where Bitcoin basically doesn't work unless everyone does this. So, I mean, that when it comes to hard forks in Bitcoin, I think those are kind of the only ones that are possible when you're like fixing a bug or it's like the network simply doesn't work unless you move over to this new thing. Um, so that could be, you know, in terms of mining centralization, like if 51% uh, like there's, 50 something or around 50% of the miners are in one province in China, I think, uh, from one of the last reports I read. So if, you know, if China was able to round up all those miners and they started censoring the Bitcoin blockchain completely, it would cease to work for everyone. So the a hard fork to a new uh, proof of work algorithm would be, I think, would work. Um, and so a similar situation would be if if Bitcoin is like literally doesn't work because uh, there's not enough incentive for miners to mine, then, you know, a hard fork would have to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, for me, that's, that's kind of a big unknown, but yeah, let's, let's, let's focus in on the, on the article, uh, which you, which you started to touch upon. Um, so the idea being uh, Bitcoin, mining has become more centralized over time. I don't think anybody can dispute that. Um, and the fact that it's also not private uh, is, is a rec potential recipe for disaster where governments can knock on Bitcoin miners doors and essentially tell them to censor transactions. Um, and so, yeah, if you want to, continue to touch upon that i guess so there's the idea is i guess well bitcoin mining itself is centralized to a degree it's not that there's five guys mining it's just that uh most of these guys pool together and there's what maybe five pools that control the vast majority of the bitcoin network but the idea is that maybe there'll be new technology implemented that would uh despite the fact that there's one or two people controlling the pools, uh, the miners themselves, I guess, that are part of that pool would effectively be able to, to uh, not be controlled by the pool in terms of what transactions they validate, right? Is that the kind of the thinking there? That, uh, Yeah, that's, uh, I think Matt Corallo had the first proposal and now Slushpool has like a, a uh, completely new mining protocol that implements a lot of uh, what Matt was talking about. And I don't know if it was a bit, but whatever proposal he had called a better hash. Do we think um, that will likely get implemented? Are there reasons, any reasons to believe that the miners or the, the pools won't want to adopt that? I think that's what slush pool has been working on. So there, there are reasons, um, that 
that miners don't necessarily want to choose their own transactions. The whole mining process just works more efficiently for them, I think, if if the if the pool handles that. So Slush Pool has been working on, um, you know, creating this new mining protocol that's more secure, um, more efficient, and they're just kind of throwing this better hash thing in there too. But you're right, miners will have to opt into, you know, taking control of their own transaction selection, uh, which means they'll also have to run a full node. Um, so that, yeah, there are some things. Uh, to, to that would push back adoption of this, but it, on the other hand, miners are incentivized to make Bitcoin as decentralized as they can, because um, that's the whole value proposition, right? Is you know cen uh, censorship resistance uh, in terms of the payments, um, and we have seen miners, you know, proactively. Uh, promote this decentralization in the past. There was like ghash.io when they were the big mining pool got over, or they're approaching like 50% and everyone freaked out on Reddit. So then I think it was yeah, the only time I, I, I sold some Bitcoin, <laughs> other than eventually moving all my Bitcoin to Monero. But that was the only yeah. time when I was into, yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think uh, Peter Todd made like Peter a post. Peter Todd had, had, yeah. had made a Reddit post that. That was before I, I knew he was the ultimate skeptic and uh, <laughs> alarmist. Uh, but, yeah. But yeah, so, yeah there was that. It, and we then, managed to bounce back from that like it never happened. Like it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And those were, I mean, looking back now, those were very early days. It didn't seem like it at the time. But um, so, yeah. And then there was um, in that, I mean, I based that Forbes article off an interview that Bitcoin Magazine did with uh, the CEO of Poolin, which is one of the top three pools now. And one mm -hmm. of the other things, I don't remember if I uh, included it in the Forbes article, but one of the things that the uh, Poolin CEO said was, you know, one of one of his uh, large miners wanted to, was asking him about how to pull his hash rate off of the pool. Uh, and he was saying like, why is our, is our mining pool like not working out for you? Is there anything we can do? He says, no, you're just getting too big and we need to keep Bitcoin decentralized. So there are, you know, the miners do, uh, at least some of them do understand that they need to, you know, keep the hash rate uh, somewhat decentralized at least. Um, and I think we are seeing, you know, I agree with you that it's Bitcoin mining has become much more centralized over time, but over the past maybe year, we are starting to see I think a uh, move towards more decentralization kind of swinging back in the other direction. Uh, we're seeing hash rate leave China and go into places like Texas. Uh, Blockstream announced their facilities, you know, in uh, I think they have a facility in somewhere in Canada and somewhere in Georgia in the U S um, there's, but is, there, is that actually making a dent? Is that actually Making From it. what I understand, yes, but uh, I haven't seen like you know official reports on it yet. It's, mm -hmm. it's also kind of hard. I mean, we have those like hash rate distribution graphs that show the distribution based on the pools, but you know what really matters, obviously, is the the actual where's the hardware and you know who's in control of that because people can point their hardware at whatever pool they want. Um, I mean, there is like the Peter Thiel backed company that's. Uh, building a huge mining facility in Texas. Bitmain just opened a large facility in Texas. 
Um, so we are seeing more, uh, you know, geographic uh, decentralization. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't have I don't have a good, uh, you know, uh, idea of or concept of of whether or not recently it's becoming more decentralized again. But I mean, overall, it's certainly the trend has has been to become more centralized over time. I mean. People used to be able to mine Bitcoin on their computers, and now it's mined by, you know, warehouses uh, in wherever in China. Yeah, that, and the, you know, well, the problem is there's not really a solution for that. I know Monero has been playing around with, you know, changing the proof of work algorithm, and now right. they're uh, developing their own basics. Yeah, and I've, I mean, I'm, I have to be skeptical, skeptical on RandomX just because I've heard, you know, so many coins over the years saying that they're building like the ASIC resistant algorithm. Um, although I do have a lot more respect for the guys behind Monero than probably any other altcoin. So yeah, it's certainly we'll see, uh, but... something to keep your eye on. It it, it appears to be a, a major breakthrough. Uh, like, I mean, skepticism, sure. You, you know, I, I would certainly maintain uh, skepticism there, but uh, it does appear to to be moving in the right direction. And it looks like it's actually going to achieve what it intends to achieve. I mean, basically what it is achieving, it's, it's turning the CPU into the, into the ASIC. So the most efficient, uh, you know, so basically specialized hardware won't have any significant advantage over uh, a CPU. Um, And it's been, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll, We'll see. I mean, I think if, uh, I remember. I mean, Litecoin that was one of the original, one of their original sales pitches. Uh, yeah, but they didn't. I they mean, didn't develop uh, anything really that that unique in terms of proof of work. That this is a, you know a randomized proof of work algorithm. I think that, Ethereum did. I think they developed their own. Yeah, Prague Power, whatever it was. Or and now we have yeah. Ethereum A6 as well too. So. Um, wasn't de- developed know. by Howard Howard Chu. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see what um, happens there. But yeah, no, definitely keep your eye on that. So that that's getting uh, that's going to be in the next Monero upgrade, which is uh, in November. That's November thirtieth, I think, is when it actually kicks in. But um, yeah, so what, what's your feeling on that? So yeah, I mean, that's that's another thing, right? So that when you when you think of Monero versus Bitcoin, uh, you know the 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 privacy default privacy um the tail emission which ensures security of the chain and then i think this is the other kind of major pillar which is uh the efforts put into maintain the original uh concept or ideal concept of one cpu one vote for the purposes of creating a uh a decentralized, uh, you know, uh, an ideal decentralized network uh, where kind of permissionless anybody with access to a CPU can opt into the network and start using it. So what what's kind of your opinion there on whether or not, I guess, is that something necessary? Uh, one well, CPU, one vote? Should, 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 uh, should that be something that uh, a cryptocurrency should try to achieve or is it not really 
Um, I mean, it sounds good in theory. I mean, it's been tried many times and it just doesn't seem to be possible. Um, and it seems like it ends up being that a better solution would be to make ASICs, you know, as easy to make as possible because then they're like more mm -hmm. commoditized and uh, you end up a with a better result that way. I think um, that, I mean, I think that is the idea with Monero long run, right? So this is kind of the interim. And then uh, uh, eventually when uh, producing an ASIC is as, as easy as producing a CPU or as widely available, then you've achieved that that goal. Yeah, I mean, I do, when you talk about like the different features of Monero, some people talk about it as kind of like a backup plan for Bitcoin. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that just because I think it would be more likely for Bitcoin to be like hard forked in like a disaster scenario, like I said, rather than, you know, everyone moves over to um, Monero or some other altcoin. Just because I think with Bitcoin's much larger network effects, I think the incentive is for everyone to kind of stay over there. So is is your is your feeling then i mean obviously i guess it is so like the, the first mover advantage the network effect is really what uh is really what bitcoin's value is i mean more than anything else that's kind of it's it's largest asset is the yeah. fact that it has the network effect you don't think that it could potentially be overcome by something that solves some of its issues um, I mean, I'm open to the idea. I just haven't seen, you know, any any project that I think would be capable of doing that. Um, yeah, it's not necessarily that like Bitcoin's monetary policy was perfect when it was released. It was just that it was first, and you know, over time, it's become seems like the most you know credible that it won't be changed. Um, so yeah. No, but we're seeing, we're starting to see. So we, you know, you wrote your article uh, about the the mining, the miners even bringing up the fact, or the, the the mining pools bringing up their concern about the lack of privacy in Bitcoin. Uh, we're starting to see other examples of what ha you know the effects of the fact that Bitcoin isn't private and truly fungible. Um, do you think? that's going to continue to become kind of more mainstream and realized and have an effect on the ecosystem, uh, potentially pushing more people into something like Monero. So, I mean, yes, maybe Bitcoin adopts uh, confidential transactions one day, but they haven't today. And in currently today, uh, uh, you know, Monero more closely resembles digital cash. And in my opinion, digital gold minus the not having as large a network effect, but on a fundamental level in that every unit of Monero equals every other unit of Monero, just like every atom of gold equals every atom of gold. Uh, do you think that's going to start to become more realized as we have more of these kind of events? Um, the most recent one being the takedown of that child porn dark website uh, obviously, horrible thing. Great that it was taken down, but ironically, it also exposes 
uh, kind of a, the flaw of Bitcoin. And it was the flaw of Bitcoin that allowed it to be taken down. But it creates kind of this more public realization that uh, one Bitcoin doesn't equal one Bitcoin. Do you think that's kind of a growing story? Um, so yeah, this kind of gets into like people caring about, you know, protecting their personal data and online privacy more, more generally. So if you look at like, you know, people opting out of Facebook or switching from Google to DuckDuckGo, things like that, it does seem like people are starting to make some move there. But I mean, like still all of my non-Bitcoin friends, you know, post on Instagram and Facebook all day and use Google and don't care really about, uh, you know, free software. Um, they've never heard of Jitsi, what we're using to, to do this live stream. Well, I guess, I guess the difference, <laughs> the difference there is not, not so, I, I agree with you that, I mean, I, I, uh, you know, people, people don't care about privacy all that much, right. As long as they're getting their, their, their free Facebook and their, you know, they don't, they don't yeah. care that they're the product, so to speak. Um, but when it starts to affect your, your, your potentially your wallet, right? So, you know, you have a million dollars in worth of Bitcoin and you wake up one day and realize, wait a minute, everybody knows how much I have and whenever I potentially how much I have and whenever I send it to somebody, uh, they know who I'm sending it to. Uh, so it's a little, you know, it's a lot more of a, uh, a realization and a worry and direct concern than, okay, uh, you know, Facebook knows that I, you know, that I like skateboarding. Uh, yeah. This is like about people's money, people's bank accounts. Um, and the th thought that, you know, their money could potentially be, you know, censored, you know, their dollars may not be worth the same as somebody else's dollars. Yeah. So I, I do I see, do, do you, you don't see that I, being more of a well, I don't, potential concern. I think p right now people, like I said, are just worried about getting access to Bitcoin as a store of value. And they're not really, you know, transacting as much. And they just think about that. But eventually, yes, those features are needed. Um, and Bitcoin, I, I think another point that's worth bringing up is like Bitcoin is kind of, it's starting to make people have to care about computer security, whether they want to or not with things like ransomware and um, things like that, where, you know, potentially previously a security hole in your system just meant someone had access to it and they couldn't really, you know, maybe they had no way to monetize it. Although, although a lot of times there were, now they just put some ransomware on there. And if, you know, uh, if you get hacked or something or someone get, gains access to your computer, um, and you want to get your files back, you have to pay hundreds or thousands of dollars or whatever. Um, if so, maybe someone, you know, there's those like scam emails that people send out where it's like they, they say they hacked your computer and they caught you watching porn. And if you don't send them, you know, a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, then, you know, they'll send all the, uh, all the porn you were watching to your friends or whatever, friends and family. So, I think um, we're still kind of far away from, maybe not too far, but we're still pretty far away from, you know, people caring about these kinds of things. Um, and it, I think eventually it's more likely people will uh, 
once people start caring more about privacy, they'll adopt it on layers on top of Bitcoin rather than, uh, you know, Monero directly. Fair enough. So, uh, do do you own any Monero? Do you uh, do you dabble <laughs> in any altcoins? Okay. Uh, well, back in the day, I was actually uh, when I was like first looking at altcoins in probably 2013, 2014, trying to figure out whether or not you know do these things have value? Could they be a threat to Bitcoin? There was one called like Anon Coin that I thought. Uh, was interesting for like the same reasons people think Monero is interesting. And I was like, because this was uh, getting back to what we talked about at first. Back then, I thought like the Silk Road uh, use case was basically like the main value proposition. So I was like, well, if this is more private, then it's going to take over Bitcoin and I should buy some before that happens. Uh, so I think I did have some Anon coin at one point. Um, but other than that, it's just been Bitcoin. Hmm. Yeah, like I'm saying, you know, that, and you, you don't see the these other elements being a part of the store of value use case. See, that's that's where I, I do, kinda, but I think, but overall, network effect is the is the most important aspect of store of value. Yeah, I think and we're that, still in like the beta phase, kind of, and people are just putting their money in. Um, and the expectation that those features will eventually be there. Okay. Because well, like uh, I said, people aren't really using it to transact uh, uh, much at all. Like this, the main, like 90% of activities related to exchanges. So it's just people buying and selling or just buying and holding for the vast majority of people. That's what they're doing with uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree with that. But I mean, you would still think they'd want it to be fungible and, you know, even if it's just sitting there, I don't know. But I think uh, the network effects, I guess, just outweigh uh, the other factors at this point. Right. It would just have to be something so critical. And then I guess only time will tell whether or not those flaws actually are critical, uh, you know, based on the events that happen. Um. So I guess uh, I, I have to do a quick a quick sponsor sponsor uh, pitch here. It's Cake Wallet. Do you ever use? Uh, well, I guess you don't use Monero at all. If you were to use Monero and you had a, an iPhone, I would recommend Cake Wallet. So we uh, I think I've heard of them. So yeah, we recommend Cake Wallet to the Monero community. Um, they're open source. Uh, you hold your own keys. Um, yeah, so they're the premier ios wallet that was a, that was a big thing for monero monero didn't have an ios uh wallet for a long time uh monero kind of being its own protocol it as i'm sure you i don't know how closely you followed it but it was a little slow to develop these things it was kind of more of it didn't even have a gui for a while yeah it didn't have a gui for a while <laughs> it, was, it was just more of a hackers hackers coin uh yeah but now it's I, finally I like growing up cool. yeah so when it when it when it first launched its iOS wallet, that was a big deal. And cake was the first one to, to do that. And it's, uh, so there are, there are show sponsor. Uh, so yeah, if you're looking to buy Monero and you want to sto- easily store it and send it, uh, recommend cake wallet for the iOS. I think they'll be coming out with an Android version soon as well. I don't know if that's supposed to be public information, but 
It is now. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, man, anything, uh, let's see, what else can I, can I pick your brain on? I mean, so you're essentially, you're, do you consider yourself a Bitcoin maximalist or you don't, you don't like those, uh, those labels? Uh, I mean that, yeah, I guess that's fine. Uh, okay. yeah, I don't really see, I mean, the, the altcoins I kind of just look at as test nets. Um, and I like to wonder, like, would people be buying these things if people just called them test nets instead of like, you know, altcoins? Um, yeah, I certainly see some of it. Like Litecoin is, is most certainly a test net. Yeah. Um, yeah. They kind of like pivoted from silver to Bitcoin's gold to Bitcoin's testnet. <laughs> right. Um, and I think they're putting, they're going to do like a Mimble Wimble sidechain now, which. Yeah, they've been talking about that. Which Monero is also doing. Yeah, through Tari. Which actually, I don't even. So maybe I could ask you, what what is the consensus mechanism for uh the Mimblewimble sidechain on Monero. Like, is it a federated peg or is it? Um, my understanding is like... Uh, Tari is essentially going to be its its own protocol that's going, yeah, that's going to be a sidechain off of Monero. So two completely separate separate things. Um, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know the, the, the exact details of the mechanism between how the the two chains will communicate. Um, yeah, I don't don't have don't have all those details. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically, Tari is going to be built on top, or going to be built using Mimblewimble, is my understanding. Um, yeah, because it was originally like side chains were going to kill off all the altcoins, and that was like never happened five, five or so years ago. Right. Um, and now we we kind of just have the federated system with uh with liquid paul Storz is still working on drive chains those seem to always be like a couple months away for the past two years or so um yeah the idea of tari so yeah it's kind of kind of kind of be like uh like a, uh you know a way of doing colored coins and thing and things like that using uh so Similar to uh, what's what's the one uh, on Bitcoin, um, the side chain of, of Bitcoin that never really took off. That's kind of the Ethereum the for liquid. Oh, RSK. No, RSK. Yeah. So yeah, I think some similarities there. Yeah. What? Why is that? Why do you think uh, like something like RSK never took off? Um. Well, right now I think it's they do have a majority of the hash rate behind it. Last time I checked. Um. But I think it's still just in early stages where, you know, if you want to develop on it, you got to be whitelisted. Um, I think it. I think it's technically live on mainnet, but there's just. Uh, I think there just aren't any apps for it right now. I know there's a company called Money on Chain working on like a MakerDAO type thing, um, which, you know, I'm not entirely sure will end up working uh, for the long term. Um, like the stabilized, uh, like the die token having a having a stable value. Um, it it seems like there's there's a lot of like economic trickery going on there that may not actually work. I think it's very speculative. Um, I'm more like, and in terms of 
the, the stable coins, like whether it's backed by, you know, money in a bank account like Tether, or if it's some algorithmic stable coin like Dai, it seems like there's still always some point of centralization. So I don't know if those are going to be like sufficiently censorship resistant. Um, so my understanding with Dai is they use like a federation of oracles to feed the price into the system. So instead of going after like, um, you know, uh, uh, the the central bank account, they just go after the oracles that are feeding the uh, the data into the system. So I think um, you know, there's protocols like Augur and Bitcoin HiveMind that would kind of decentralize the oracle system. So you could maybe have a truly decentralized stablecoin eventually, but those are still very much like unproven in terms of whether or not you know, those decentralized oracles can be trusted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's why I think, you know, the, the stable coins don't really make sense to me because you still have that point of centralization. And I know they're allowing things like Tether and Coinbase's stablecoin to exist right now. But it, I think eventually yeah, no. they, they have to, like, that goes back into what I was saying about, like, CoinJoin and confidential transactions on Liquid. Which yeah, that'd be interesting if someone did coin join and confidential transactions on Liquid because then it might maybe they would shut down Liquid or something, but they would also probably like shut down. I mean, they'd have to shut down Ripple, all the stable coins, EOS, like anything sufficiently centralized. They would also have mm -hmm. to go after. Yeah, that, that hasn't made sense to me either. The the concept of something like Tether and stable coins. I mean, it's you know great in theory, but I feel like it's. Uh, well, it's like Eagle and Liberty Reserve. Right. If it, exactly. Too. If it was created before Bitcoin, it would have been shut down right away. And then it's like, all right, because things like Bitcoin exist, now it's allowed to exist, even though it could easily be yeah. shut down and centralized. It's, it's kind of odd. It seems like there's just not a, a good enough understanding among regulators and lawmakers. So right. Once they, it's been conflated, so they've just allowed it to kind yeah. of exist. So, so yeah, I guess that, yeah. at some point that will that will change, and unless you know Libra becomes the then the kind of the, the one and only existing stable coin, I don't know. Um, yeah. But at well, that I mean, point, yeah, that's what they say. Like central bank digital currencies will kill Bitcoin. Some people say that, but it's like they're not going to allow anonymous uh, transactions. They're going to try to implement negative interest rates. They're gonna do all these things where they still have control. So it's a it's just a completely different thing than what Bitcoin is. What Bitcoin is. Yep, exactly, man. Well, uh, great talk. I don't. I don't. What? Any anything else you want to talk about in terms of Monero? Uh, yeah, do you have any uh, <laughs> uh, Monero topics? I I know I've written about Monero a few times because I remember back in the day when Alpha Bay. Um, adopted Monero. That was like a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of now, I, I mean, I, there was a report from Europool where they were talking about how people on the darknet market still tend to use Bitcoin just because of like network effects and that's what they're used to and things like that. Um, I think it was Europool. I might be misremembering. Which th which is just crazy to me. I mean, you would think people in that, in that realm would be uh you know thinking about how how best to 
Yeah, it's interesting you know, though. Hide, hide like, the... like, why wouldn't they go the the kind of the take the extra step of using the better technology for those purposes? Well, it seems like a lot of them just go on coin. Like, I like to track the chatter on the darknet markets and stuff like that. And I don't follow it as closely as I used to, but it seems like a lot of them still just like go on Coinbase, buy some Bitcoin, send it to like two through like two or three different wallets. Like a lot of them don't even use like Wasabi wallet or Samurai wallet, like the Bitcoin privacy wallets. Um, and then yeah, sometimes they'll say like transfer it to Monero and then transfer it back or something like that. But I think that kind of defeats the purpose because you can still correlate the two Bitcoin transactions on either end and see that they're related. Um, so yeah, it's, at, I guess people are kind of just, they need the censorship resistance kind of more than the privacy or that's what they think. But, you know. Yeah, until it catches up to them. I mean, if you're, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're just buying like 50 bucks worth of weed on the darknet, I guess you don't really care as much probably. Um, so there's that. So maybe like, um, I know a lot of, I mean, in that report from Europol, Monero was the only other uh, coin they talked about at all. Uh, so there's that. I think they mentioned Dash like in passing once as well. Um, but yeah, the Monero, I think, but a lot of the talk around Monero was around um, like crypto jacking. Um, so like getting other people's computers to mine Monero for on the hackers uh, benefit. So, and I think that might have more to do with how Monero is mined maybe rather than just the privacy features, um, probably a combination of both. Yeah. What, what, what's your opinion on that? Do you see that as, as an indi like an indication of anything? Like, you know, so the fact that they're choosing, Mon you know, choosing Monero versus other coins, do you think that's significant or? I mean, they would probably choose Bitcoin, but obviously everyone doesn't have an ASIC hooked up to their laptop. <laughs> so uh, I guess they, uh, I know a lot of, um, I remember, I don't remember the source, but uh, someone was talking about the, the mining that goes on in Venezuela. They stopped mining Bitcoin because it, it was like too easy for the authorities to realize they were mining. And then, uh, so they would come and steal all their equipment and start mining Bitcoin for the government. Uh, so they switched to like GPU mining, but the people who are mining would take the altcoins that they mined and sell them for Bitcoin still. So um, I get all roads lead to Bitcoin eventually, it seems. For now, for now. <laughs> for now, yeah. So yeah, man, th thanks for coming on. Thanks for all the work you do. Your articles are, are really great. So I'm, recommend anybody who's watching this to uh to, to check you out i'm sure they already do uh you're hard to miss you're all over the place um yeah keep keep doing what you're doing thank you and uh thanks for having me yeah, yeah we'd love for you to you know investigate further into the the monero world maybe uh i'll definitely track uh random check, x check out random uh, x that's that's gonna be a big one yeah. uh, and uh yeah, that's it. Great show, man. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks. the uh, for the candor. Yep. All right, man. I'll talk to you. Have a good one. You too. All right. Bye. See ya.